CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it has been an astounding week to say the least. Discord and dislocation gripping outlying corners of the marketplace. Whether it's old hat or you're new to options. If you're new with us here now, then you're looking for some smart and substantive insight. And we'll do our best to provide that certainly with us tonight, as always, is Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Tony Zhang. Our collective mission tonight, gentlemen, if you are ready, to strip away the sound and the fury, the names, and of course, the blame. We're going to simply explain the mechanics of what happened, the different ways it could resolve, and how to proceed from here. Carter, Tony, and Mike, I know each of you have very specific thoughts so, Mike Coe, I'm just going to throw it up there. A big old fat softball to you, my friend. What do you make of this week? Because options were a single stock, single week options were a big part of this story. Uh, yeah, they certainly were. I mean, th- this week was certainly extraordinary on a, on a couple of fronts. I mean, one of the things we definitely saw was extraordinary options volumes. Some of these most volatile stocks that we haven't mentioned yet, but I think are probably on the tip of everybody's tongue, certainly on everybody's radar. Names like GameStop and Macy's, Fossil, Express, Nokia, BlackBerry, all of these stocks that had some short interest and things like that, suddenly uh, we saw a big uptick in interest. And what we saw was a lot of people buying the stocks and a lot of people buying the options. A lot of those names that I just mentioned traded well over a million contracts a day. And to put things in perspective, for those who are new, each options contract typically represents 100 shares. So that would be 100 million shares worth of options trading each day. Those are extraordinary volumes. And of course, whenever you have a lot of buyers, it could be retail buyers, it could be institutional buyers, it could be someone staying at home and click trading uh, from their basement, it could be a, a hedge fund. But when they go and buy call options, they're buying them from a market maker. And what happens next? The market maker has to buy stock to hedge. And typically, you're going to see sort of volume build on itself in this way. And the higher the stock goes, the more stock those market makers have to buy to hedge their positions. So, you know, I, I've heard some people talk about And that's, that's a huge part of the story, is, is it li- not? T- Tony, oh, it I mean. it certainly is. I mean, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you look out, and, ahead, and I know my friend, our friend Larry McDonald posted this out, and he said there was, there was I think some, some of these GameStop auctions were so out of the money that they're looking for basically an $800 price on the equity to get to where these calls were bought. I mean, people are placing some just in, incredible bets on GME. Yeah, Brian, as you said, you know, what we have to admit that these traders exploited uh, a mechanism of the market, which is the fact that out of the money call options have gamma exposure, which causes, as Mike said, market makers to continue to buy the, buy that. And this has caused a, a, a leverage feedback loop. And it's caused this uh, crazy amount of volatility that we're currently seeing in the markets, some of which we can debate for hours as whether this is uh, good or not for the markets. But the bigger picture here, I really think we need to uh, take a step back is if you take if you spend any time here on Wall Street bets, you know, there's a lot of anger fueling behind this. And a lot of it stems from the rising inequality that we have seen and the wage gap that continues to grow since the financial crisis. And the pandemic hasn't made that any worse. So when we look at this, I think it's important that we take a look at not only treating not the, the symptoms, but the cause as well. And I think 
at, at least from our perspective, we really want to make sure we, we, uh, we have a stable capital market here. So there are a few things that I think we need to discuss regarding our capital markets. Should we be enhancing our clearing and margin, margin services so that brokerage firms are not choosing between um, going under and potentially restricting trading for their clients, which is certainly not something that we want to see. And also just this feedback loop that we're talking about that comes with the gamma risk with trading these short dated options. Perhaps option volatility models also need to be updated like we did after 87 during the crash. So I'm very proud to be part of this show that has been advocating for retail traders to use options to take advantage of opportunities here in the market and being able to do so with limited risk, that's a big part of what we do here on the show. But we also have to take a, a step mm -hmm. back and taking a look at what are we doing to ensure you know, a safe market for all participants and take a look at you know, how we can reverse inequality here. Well, Carter Worth, and I'm not going to ask you to dive into Robinhood necessarily or make any assumptions, but when you've got a, one of the biggest stock trading platforms, which is also, by the way, a brokerage and a clearinghouse, when you've got one of those limiting purchases to one share for a number of hotly traded or even big name stocks like AMD, does that tell you something bigger about what's going on, the situation as it is now? Sure, it says a lot about uh, trying to manage the risk of this kind of hyperactivity. But just before we look at two charts, and I think that they're worthwhile, it's important to say there's always been this thought that, you know, there's smart money on Wall Street. And that's a, uh, for a few select individuals or funds, that's the case. But it's an offensive phrase after that. If, if we know that 90% of large cap mutual funds have underperformed the index over the last 15 years, that last year for the fifth year in a row, more hedge fund closures. Uh, than launches. Uh, the retail investor is smart in his own way, and it's not random. They picked consumer names, Bed Bath & Beyond and GameStop and AMC Express, to go after. Uh, important uh, thing, and confined to largely that area of the market. But let's look at two charts, I think, that are important. The first is, this is the Goldman Sachs most shorted uh, index. And you can see the range it was trading in before it plunged during the pandemic. And so to put that plunge in perspective, it dropped 51% to its March low, February, March sell-off, where the S&P dropped only 35. So down more. But the ricochet back is such a, an incredible instance of a recovery. The market from its March low, S&P, is up 70%. This is up 330. And remember, most shorting is done at the institutional level, not a retail phenomenon. And so it's another instance. It's not just this recent period. Shorts have been getting murdered since the March low, which is to say retail has been performing in many ways better. Now, the second chart, and this is remarkable, this is that same index, the Goldman Sachs most shorted index, juxtaposed against the Spider uh, retail ETF with 95 stocks, XRT. They're a direct overlay, and it, it means that you can even capture uh, this kind of thing by trading XRT. Mike Coe, that's a... That's a heck of a chart. A lot of correlation there, but what does it or what might it tell you and tell us? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think Carter actually touched on this a little bit when, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of this has been positioned as big money against small money, institutional against retail. Actually, if you look at the holdings, uh, you know, of, of some of these stocks, there were a lot of big firms that were on the long side. Uh, there were a lot of big market-making firms that held shares. So obviously, as the cost of borrow rose, uh, they were beneficiaries of this. This isn't really 
retail against hedge funds. It's really much more of longs versus shorts. And over the long run, uh, shorting stocks is a very difficult game, and it's a difficult game for two primary reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is that over the course of time, generally speaking, stocks will rise. The other reason, and what we, we definitely witnessed that over the course of the last two weeks, is that if you buy a stock, your risks are known. You buy a share for $100, the most you can lose is the $100 that you spent. If you short a stock at $100, your risk is potentially unlimited because those shares don't have any potential cap. I mean, we saw that GameStop went to $500. If you had shorted at $100, you lost well more than the $100 in capital that you put to the trade initially. You lost four times that amount. So I think one of the things that this demonstrates, and one of the things we definitely have seen, is that retail participants, I think it speaks to the democratization of information and access to markets, that you're seeing a situation. It's almost inconceivable to me in the 1990s that retail market participants might have been considering looking at potential stocks for a short squeeze. And the reason is because you, number one, would need to identify stocks that had that possibility. And number two, of course, the rest of the market see, needs to sort of come around to your point of view with the ability to communicate, with the ability to essentially, I mean, we'll call it collaboration, if you will, but for small investors to group together and become essentially an institution. That's, I think, what's a little bit unique here. But the dynamics that we saw, okay, so short squeezes are not new. Trading restrictions are not new. Restrictions on access to margin are not new. Limiting trading to closing only. I mean, all of us who have been in the business for more than 20 years have seen this, including you, many, many times. This happens all the time. Uh, what's new, I think, is the retail participants in all of this. I think that's a good thing, and obviously I think uh, hopefully their education is uh, keeping up with their activity in the markets. Well, we did have a little bit in the late 90s, you know, the Yahoo mess, not quite the same thing, Mike, but the Yahoo message boards and, you know, trading commissions were coming down. But to your point, certainly, and nobody can blame these guys, nobody will go after a wounded hedge fund more than other hedge funds. So these retail investors are just doing what Wall Street has done to itself for a hundred years. A little blood in the water. Oh, Bears having some problems. Oh, Lehman Brothers over here. Bill Ackman, let's go get him. All right, for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can sign up for the newsletter. In the meantime, here's what's coming up next. Speculation aside, there is still investment work to be done. We're still in the thick of earnings season with big tech names on deck. We'll get you prepared. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Options Action. Well, while we spent the first part of the show dissecting some of the speculative action, there is still some investment work to be done. It's probably why you're here. We're still in the middle of earnings season with big tech names about to report their results next week. Most notably, a little delivery company called Amazon. Carter Worth, what should we be watching for with Amazon? Well, we've got three simple charts, but before we get to it, it is really the same setup as we saw for Apple and Microsoft, meaning 
great winners off the March low that then stalled in September, underperformed, that have largely come back to life and are holding up better than the market. Uh, the first chart is uh, a simple one-year-plus chart with a 150-day moving average. And what we know is that um, Amazon's performance off the March low up 120% to its September peak. That's double the market, right? S&P goes up 60, it goes up 120. And when you get ahead of yourself like that, you need to rest. A little too much, um, uh, too far, too fast, uh, expenditure of energy. And so the past five, six, seven months has been a textbook instance of resting. And to put that in context, from the September 2nd peak, same day Apple peaked before it was able to push higher this week a bit, um, Amazon's down almost 10%, the S&P's up three. You're talking about 1,300 base points of underperformance in a marquee name. Now look at the next chart, it's the exact same chart, but no moving average, I've drawn the lines, so to speak. This is what my eye sees. We're working into the apex, whether you call it a wedge or a triangle, it doesn't matter. It typically happens, equilibrium, buyers and sellers are matched off before something occurs. Many would say, yeah, Carter, it's going to break out down through the bottom. That's not my bet. I think it's going to break out to the upside. Uh, final chart. This is a uh, two-panel chart, and you're looking at Amazon on the top. And now you're looking at, on the bottom, relative performance to the XRT. In many ways, the most shorted uh, basket. As you saw, it overlays with the Goldman Sachs basket identically. And so since, um, let's say the stall period, right, when Amazon has rested, it's down 9, 10% since September 2nd, the XRT is up 72. That relative performance line, which has gone straight down, is right on trend, and we think it bounces right here. Amazon long into earnings. Amazon long into earnings. Mike Coe, would you agree with that? Is there an options trade here? What do you make of Carter's analysis? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, there's a couple things. I mean, number one, do we think that there is still potential upside in a company as large as Amazon? That's the first question on making a long bet. And secondly, is there an options trade? And one might hope so, given how m much each share of stock costs. But let's just take a look at earnings, first of all. So we've got earnings coming up. Typically, over the last eight quarters, this stock has moved about 4% higher or lower over the couple days following towards the end of that week. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 6.6% higher or lower by the end of next week after they report. So that's a much larger than average move. Maybe we can take advantage of the fact that options prices are slightly elevated. From a fundamental standpoint, taking a look at Amazon, let's just take a look. Their gross merchandise value, let's just talk about it and think about how much in transactions they're going to do by the end of 2021 forecasted about $450 billion. Right now, the forecast is that they're going to do about $900 billion by the end of 2024-2025. So doubling that number. What else have we got going? We've got AWS, their cloud services business. That's probably going to, around that same time, be doing about $100 billion in revenue. And what we're talking about, just to put things in perspective, a fairly astonishing number, but that represents about 13.5% of global uh, merchandise value in terms of sales. Uh, in just four years. So that's, a, that's quite remarkable. So I think it is uh, safe to say that Amazon is going to continue to grow. And of course, they're also pushing into pharmacy. The thing is that if you're going out to buy a single share of stock would cost you more than $3,200 right now. One round lot, which is 100 shares, would be $320,000. Uh, so one thing we could do is look to buy a call option on a like amount of shares instead. 
and then look to sell some of the elevated options premium in the more near dated options. I was looking specifically at the June 3300 calls. You could pay about $274 per share for those, obviously much less than a share of stock. Remember, every call option represents 100 shares though, so you have to multiply that by 100 and then sell the February 2550 calls against it for $37.5 a piece. Net-net, you're gonna be spending the equivalent of $236.50 per share. Obviously, much less than the 3200 or so where the stock currently closed. The idea here is that you're gonna capitalize on the elevated short-dated options premium. If the stock just trades sideways, you're gonna capitalize on that by seeing the decay of those near-dated options. And of course, if the stock rallies, you have some potential upside. Although you do have some cap, of course, because you're selling that upside call. To the downside, your limit of risk is going to be how much you spent on the total trade. But I would point out, again, this is an expensive stock, so the options are expensive. You need to have sufficient capital in your account uh, to do this trade if this is something you're interested in. It's not for somebody with $2,000 in their account, obviously. Yeah, there you go. Pretty sophisticated stuff there, but a great trade, Mike Co. Thank you very much. All right, so from Amazon to another technology name reporting next week, and that is Snap, the parent of Snapchat, due out with their results this coming Thursday. Tony Zhang is all over that one and a possible way to make money off it. Tony. Yeah, so I think this is a stock that analysts still continue to misunderstand. You know, I covered this last quarter and the stock uh, jumped significantly on earnings. I think there's further upside here for earnings here next week here for Snapchat. If we take a look at the chart itself, on earnings last uh, last quarter, it broke out above that $30 resistance level. It's now finding a base above a $48 base. So this stock has rallied significantly since last quarter's earnings. But if you look at it, it's still continuing to outperform the technology sector. And that is the type of relative strength that I like to see going into an earnings event. And Predominantly, my thesis last quarter was based on the fact that they had very strong user growth from a downloads perspective. And if we look at sensor tower download data this quarter, we had seen that over 100 million downloads of Snapchat happened in Q4, which is the highest they've ever, ever seen since the IPO. So we continue to see acceleration here for user growth here for Snapchat. So for those reasons, I think this stock is continuing higher here. But if we look at the earnings itself, the current market is implying about a 17.5% move here on earnings versus about 173 that it's average over the past eight quarters. So this stock is very volatile. It moves quite a bit. Um, but the fact that the stock has rallied so much here over the past quarter and the implied volatilities are so high, it's actually currently trading at 58 percentile in terms of implied volatility. The trade structure I want to use reflects this, uh, the fact that it's risen so high and the implied volatilities are so high. Um, and I'm using a put credit spread here. I'm going out to the March 5th um, weekly expiration, and I'm selling the $51 puts for about $5.80 and I'm buying back the 44 puts for about $2.60. Net-net here, I'm collecting about $3.20, which is 45% of the width of the vertical here. So I'm collecting a large percentage of the width, risking only 55% of that width. So I'm collecting here almost 6% of the stock price by selling this credit spread. So even if the stock doesn't move substantially higher or just stays where it is, I'm still able to profit here on this particular trade. All right, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's three things that can happen. The stock can go higher, it can go sideways, or it can go lower. And of the three things that can happen, two of them 
are good for this trade. And one of them is less bad than buying the stock. Certainly it's less bad than buying the stock if the stock is going to have a big decline. Why is that? If the stock just stays put, you're going to collect all that premium. If the stock goes higher, you're going to collect all that premium. If the stock goes lower, even substantially lower, at worst, you're going to risk the difference between the strikes and the premium that you collected. So far less, if the stock dropped 20%, for example, you could be risking $10 a share. By selling this credit spread, you're risking far less than that. He's taking advantage of higher than average implied volatility. I think that's a positive. And of course, we have a stock that's had a big run. Always very difficult to make bullish bets and you know, effectively chase stocks that have already had such a good run. And I think this is an intelligent way to do it. All right, Mike, Tony, and Carter, thank you very much. All right, still to come, we know that all of you out there probably still have more questions, maybe about this week and next week. So we're going to answer some of those questions which came over the Twitter. That's next. We'll be right back on Options Action. All right, welcome back. We've got a news alert in the options market. Interactive Brokers saying it is lifting all trading restrictions on its platform for options. Mike Coe, your take on this breaking news. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think we had a situation where they obviously were trying to digest. Tom Petterfee actually was talking about this earlier in the week, that obviously they were trying to make sure that they could participate in maintaining an orderly market, that they wouldn't actually jeopardize clearing or themselves or their customers. And I think they've finally gotten to a point where they feel comfortable with this. This is a very common thing, by the way, for people who are new to this. Sometimes when you have volatile markets, it is necessary to increase margin, impose some trading restrictions. And then once everybody figures out how to make it work, they do. All right. We want to be clear that is on options on interactive brokers. Robinhood still a big story, guys. Thank you very much. Great stuff, as always. And for us, that wraps us up here on Options Action. Yes, we'll be back next Friday at 530, but do not go anywhere because the show is not over. A CNBC special report on the Reddit Rebellion, 6 p.m. Eastern, in just two minutes. We'll see you there. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.